right, welcome to episode number 55 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recording February 16th, 2020. My name's Eric, I'm the host of the show, I'm based in southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3, EPN, and computer geek. I got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and to be better able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian, and I'm totally impressed at watching Eric try and do his intro without coughing. That was super awesome. <laughs> oh, it was it was tricky, and I I, I, sh- I should be wearing a mask. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, anyways, my name is Ian, and I live on Vancouver Island. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sport shooter, reloader, and my pharmacist designated handyman. Uh, I'm Alan, and my friends and family call me a safety nerd. As a first responder, I see the benefit of preparation over reaction to emergencies. I teach first aid and coach my family and friends to be better prepared. I'm a locksmith by trade. I've worked in the physical security industry for more than 20 years now. I am uh, Colin Saunders, and I'm a 21-plus year veteran of the Canadian Forces. I'm a dad. I'm a welder, an outdoor enthusiast, uh, a firearms and veterans advocate, and a field officer with the for the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. And hello from Canada's East Coast. I'm Hughes from Nova Scotia. I'm a Canadian Armed Forces veteran, a volunteer firefighter and station chief, and volunteer search and rescue technician and prepper. I've been preaching and living the prepper lifestyle to varying degrees for the last six years or so, and this was born out of, out of necessity to ensure the short-term survival of my family, which includes three young children. All right. If you want to uh, help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, you can buy a Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt at prepperpodcast.ca. Um, all the proceeds help keep lights on and the backup generator fueled and might even throw a couple cough drops my way as well. If you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us Eric is Facebook. literally dying without our t-shirt sales. Oh, yeah. He's, he's <laughs> trying his best to put on the brave face there. That's pretty good. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, or even if there's a topic you want us to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, so we've got some uh, masked content for you in this episode. Uh, we're going to start off with some prepared li- preparedness-related news articles, if I could talk today. Uh, next, we're going to be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since the last episode. Then we're going to get into the uh, main topic of the episode, uh, personal protective equipment. So we'll move into some news articles. Uh, I only put one up today. Uh, Via Rail has stopped almost all of its service nationwide, and... Uh, freight movement has also been affected um, kind of east of Toronto towards the coast, uh, mostly due to um, protests. I will present the CBC article without commentary, um, but it is, uh, um, it is specifically in defiance of uh, court injunctions and a few other things that should probably have made this uh, go away by now, uh, but it is, uh, it is affecting a lot of a lot of travelers, a lot of uh, freight, and now apparently upwards of 6,000 jobs. Now I'm going to go to a limb and assume it's still cold out in, in the Quebec way. Uh, I, would, I would assume so, yep. Yeah, so, I mean, call it still kind of winter there, right? Oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah. So, <laughs> remember back in earlier this winter, they had that railroad strike with the, actually, just the conductors were having a strike, and Quebec was losing their mind because they weren't getting their propane shipments done the daily from uh, Alberta. So, I wonder how they're doing now. Because <laughs> it's kind of yeah. the same thing, right? Like, there's like the the freight issue. It's like, doesn't matter what caused the stoppage, it's still a stoppage. So, uh, once again, we'll probably see an energy uh, hit until the warm weather hits anyway. 
Oh yeah, that's definitely coming. Yeah, very well, interesting. There's talk about affecting uh, the grocery chain as well. Yeah, I read that today. Yeah, I know see, I mean, um, here in Nova Scotia, they were saying that the uh, all of the propane is uh, brought in through a rail car uh, at a rate of about three. Three three rail cars per day of propane, uh, and without that, uh, they've uh, had to begin rationing for some customers. Um, some industries that use propane have had to switch to alternative means of fuels. Um, there is a refinery in St. John's that can do propane, but only about half of what was being brought in by rail cars. So we're starting to feel it now too uh, on the east coast there. Yeah, it's funny how it's you know the global globalism interconnected thing. It doesn't take much to cause havoc nationwide. That's for sure. Nope. Um, this is something we prepare for. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a couple hundred pounders just goes a long way. Um, yeah, so I got a couple of just, uh, articles I just want to throw in there. Um, my wife actually showed showed me this one because she got it sent to her from a friend. Uh, Canada's Emergency Act. It's not something that's often talked about, but it is something that's uh, was kind of talked about in the states for a while, but we've had it. For a long time, I guess, and then um, a couple of interesting things that uh, one of the things that triggers Canada's Emergency Act is disease disease among the population. So, as we know, there's been lots of talk in the news about uh, coronavirus and stuff. And um, I thought it was just good to put the link in there because there's some interesting stuff about uh, what they can do with the Emergency Act once it gets activated: uh, forfeiture of property, uh, warrantless searches, financial compensation if they seize your property, but the good news is if they seize your property, they just put a government assessor on it. They tell you what it's worth and they just pay you that with no recourse. Because it's going to be a so, fair assessment, I'm sure. <laughs> it would be a great assessment, I'm sure. Uh, and then the most uh, fascinating conspiracy-minded thing of all was at the end of the Emergency Act is there is an appendix that uh, includes an oath of secrecy so that if you're involved with this act, you're sworn to not tell anybody about what goes on during the uh, execution of this act. So... Mm. Well, anyway, so to Fight Club. Yeah, it's it's kind of like Fight Club. Uh, <laughs> so part one, five B applies to us. I just thought I mentioned that, and then um, the other one, the Canadian government is evacuating the passengers from the Diamond Princess cruise ship of death there from Yokohama Harbor, um, where they had uh, I think it's three hundred passengers now have come down with the coronavirus, but they're uh, they're shipping the ones that aren't uh, affected out and uh, chartering a plane to do so. So at least the government uh, did something for their people now, which is a good thing. And that's nice. Yeah, that's all, all I had. All of them, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And that's all I had. Anybody else? They probably only did that because there were taxpayers. Well, yeah. if they weren't paying taxes anymore, like if they were drawing off the system, they'd probably just let them just, you know, let, let nature take its course. But, you know, they're probably yeah. contributing still, so. Yep. Anyway. Right. Well, maybe we'll move into what we've done lately for preps then. Uh, yeah, I think I'm first. Uh, so I was in Toronto last week. Uh, unfortunately, didn't get to do much, but I did start a second batch of moonshine this weekend. Uh, so Thanks. hopefully we'll be bottling that in about three weeks or so there. And that's all I managed to get done last week. Very nice. Uh, for myself, it's been uh, a never-ending boxing and shipping out of these wonderful <laughs> N95 masks. So there's been uh, no shortage of orders. So it's been... Uh, a little taxing as far as getting everything boxed and shipped out and, and sourced, but uh, I'm making it happen slowly. I think I've only got about five back orders right now, so that's I'll take it. That's it, is nice when, yep. you know, it is nice when somebody does that internet meme <clears> thing and says, shut up and take my money, you know? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's pretty awesome. Yep. 
for myself, I just have uh, been doing some reloading because it's the reloading <clears throat> season. As if it's rainy out, that's basically a good thing to do inside. Uh, rotated some food stocks that were kind of uh, come and do that need to be used up. Uh, got some more medical supplies for the, uh, the family. Went to the range with the wife for Valentine's Day, which is always a fun day. Nice. Uh, scrounged brass while we were there. We forgot to mention that, but yeah, we did that too, of course. Um, then we, uh, this morning, we went for a little wild edible walk because stuff's starting to spread out of the ground now. So we uh, picked up some uh, wild edible and uh, made some wild edible soup today. Nice. And that was it. Nice. Alice? Alan. Hmm. All right, then. Uh, we will move into the main topic. He's there. His mic's uh, just muted. Colin, you got anything? Um, well, I spent some time in Toronto. Uh, sorry, a little choppy in this end. Um, sorry for the delay. <laughs> went, uh, did, went. Yeah, we went to uh, Toronto. No, I'm good. Oh. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yep, yep. we can hear you. Okay. Alan, yeah. There we go. All right. Uh, so this week, um, I, I had a knife go missing. Um, so unfortunately, I'll use the significant air quotes there. I get to go knife shopping. Uh, added some more first aid supplies to the uh, to the stores, and that's uh, that's about the extent of what I've gotten done this week. What I've accomplished. There you go. Cool. Okay. Well, it's funny you should mention uh, knives. You lost your knife. Did it look anything like this? <laughs> it, it, it did not. Okay. Well, nice. I. This is my mail call this week. This is from uh, knife maker uh, Nick Huff out of uh, Fort Worth, Texas. And cool. uh, I call this one the, uh, the Huckleberry. It's uh, 5160 high carbon steel, 8 and 3 eighths inch blade, uh, leather stack handle. It's, uh, it's pretty kick-ass. It's differentially uh, quenched. You could uh, shave a... You could circumcise a gnat with it. Uh, <laughs> other than that, I've also uh, I made some uh, CBD suckers this week. Because, uh, you know, all those years in the Army, I got uh, achy joints and bones and arthritis and all kinds of stuff. And uh, I find that's one thing that helps me sleep at night. So Nice. Cool. Right. I'd call it a prob- problem solver, but, you know, whatever yeah. they want to call it. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Awesome. Now we can move into the main topic. Sure thing. Um, well, I guess where to even start with all this stuff? I guess we should start with the, uh, the the hot topic tonight, which is, uh, I guess, disease or uh, biologicals, but then we can move on to nuclear and chemical later on. But um, I'll just start off. Everybody can just jump in any time, that's for sure. Yep. Uh, masks. So that's kind of the hot topic, like Eric is mentioning. So, um, sure is. Yeah, you know, we can always start off with the uh, the N95 mask, which is kind of the go-to, but as we know, it leaks on the side, thanks to Dr. Alton. He mentioned that, uh, was it two episodes ago? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he mentioned the fact that it's not 100%. It's, it still leaks on the side. It's also about how you take it on and put it off. It can be important how you fit it. Um, Absolutely. But there's the better masks out there, the half-face mask, for example, uh, that has the P100 rating. So if you actually take off the filter element here, you can see it's... Uh, I'll mention on here, it's kind of scuzzy, but it says P100 on it. And uh, there's a difference between uh, N95s, R95s, and, and Ps, like P100s and stuff. Um, actually, I put a link in the show notes because I didn't know. <laughs> so I had to look it up. But uh, yeah, so one's good for particulate. Uh, the other one gets to be more like vapors, like paint fumes and everything else. 
but basically there's like N stands for like in Ian terms, it's like not resistant, R for resistant and P for proof. So um, I, obviously if you want a better job, stick with the P stuff. Yep. But uh, obviously depending on what filter you get is what it's good for, right? Absolutely. So question for you guys, if you know, what's the, um, what's the mechanism? Does it work through absorption? Like how long are these filters good for? I mean, I know the, the N95 is, is somewhat of a disposable mask, but um, the one you mentioned, Ian, there, the half mask or the full mask yep. um, that has the, the replaceable filters, how long do we want to change those? Well, it's actually interesting because there's, there's life, uh, like expiry dates on these as well. But okay. also when you store them, I have another one over there but it's in a bag uh when you open the bag it actually starts the clock yeah. and on some of them you don't want to have the bag open for more than a day or two before you use it and then yeah. you basically it's only good for a few days um oh, it okay. all depends all right. it all depends on what you're protecting against like this one i use for like uh, drywall dust yeah. uh just to keep that off because you know the n95s if you use that for drywall you end up with just a white mask around your mouth it doesn't do anything yeah. um but you'll tell as soon as they're starting to wear out because they start to get clogged basically because it's just a fiber filter is all it is right God, I like some of the ones that I have um, through Honeywell. Their test is, well, if you start to taste the product that you're trying to protect yourself against, <laughs> it's time for a new filter. Yeah, that's, it. that's exactly it. Yeah, okay. You, you that's see that that's what's known as a qualitative yeah. test. Yeah. Yeah, they also suggest just every 18 hours or so of exposure to whatever it is you look in the filter, and, and they okay. say reference your uh, your standard operating procedures at your uh, at your employer. So. There's all kinds of different things that they say, but I figured that test, if you start tasting what you're trying to filter out, then it's time to push the filter. So what does coronavirus taste like? Just anybody? Uh, well, it depends. With lime or without? <laughs> Skunky yet skunk luxury. But. No, that's good because I mean I've got you know I've got a half mask um, and I don't I don't have any replacement filters for it, so um, maybe that's something I should think about investing. Um, I didn't know how long that they were actually good 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 for, so that's that's really good to know. Yeah, the, the Honeywell one shelf life package is about five years. Okay, and then as soon as you open them up, you know, it could be depending on the type of filter you have. It could be eighteen hours. It could be six hours. They, uh, they'll give you kind of a, a reference with the packaging and the instructions. Got it. Okay. So I have a question okay. for you they're, guys. They're here. basically designed to last <clears throat> one shift yeah. of, of average work. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, like, what, when it comes to a lot of this coronavirus stuff, you got to think, though, you may or may not be operating in an environment which could be even be days, you know, if there was a serious threat. And so I wonder, you know, if you're you're in some kind of environment where you can't take your mask off, do any of those other masks have drinking tubes? Uh, uh, good call. See, mine because does not. Nope. I know the, the military issue ones. Mm -hmm. uh, right inside, there's a, a little tube, and you could usually set it up to reach it with your tongue and pull it into your mouth. And there's a part on the outside of your mask you can unplug and plug into your water bottle and hold it up, and you can... You can drink, and then when uh, you're done, you just unplug it and into the mask you go. Well, even if it's not days, it's just uh, if you're exerting yourself. I mean, you get yeah. dehydrated pretty fast, right? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't no, take it, long, it, especially it, when the, you're… The, uh, typical, the, the typical workplace mask is designed for I put it on, I go do my thing, I come out at break time, um, take it off drink my water, drink my coffee, have my smoke, go back inside and, and coming on and off. Um, not designed to be uh, intaking uh, water and like water and food while you're 
while you're actually working. So it's uh, it's a really different intent, um, which of course is why it's a really different design. And that's where the, the military style gas mask with that drinking tube uh, certainly gives you a, a distinct advantage. Yeah, absolutely. It also has another uh, thing I don't know as if other respirators have. Um, there's a one-way check valve in there too. Uh, let's say you get hit with a, a nerve agent or something that causes you to be uh, nauseous or sick to your stomach and you puke in your mask. You can actually just shake your head back and forth and you can actually, through the force of gravity, shake it out through that one-way valve oh. to, to kind of clear your mask or you can pressurize your mask yep. and, and keep blowing and eventually it will blow uh, any debris inside your mask or even gas or vapors or nerve agents or anything. You could push it back out. Yeah, it's not nice. quite to the uh, the same uh, level, but basically you can see on the inside of these, it's got like the front one is the check valve and the side ones are the intake, but yeah. it's not going to allow you to barf outside of it for sure. Like it's uh, it's it's basically just going to allow you to breathe heavy, but like I was mentioning, like you know how moist these things get on the inside when you start breathing in them for a couple hours, so yeah, dehydration's a thing for sure. I'll tell you guys right now, this is my uh, mask that I use for firefighting. It's in, uh, I think it's an MSA uh, Firehawk. Um, anyways, so sorry, no, it's an MSA Ultra Elite. Um, and by experience, you cannot throw up in these. You actually have to lift your mask, throw up, and then put it back on. Because if you look in the bottom here, that's your intake valve uh, for your positive pre pre pressure. And then you've got your exhaust here in the nose cone. But yeah, that, that's, that, that's, uh, that's interesting because I know in the military one, like Colin said, you can throw up in your mask and uh, shake it out through gravity. But uh, def definitely not the fire serv service ones. So. Yeah. I'd hate yeah, to prove that, that one, right? The full face masks that... Uh, that I've seen either. That's something good to have. Yeah. Yeah. I never, I never even considered but that. It's <laughs> nice that you can you can hook yours up to a tank, and you're not. Uh, with mine, with the fire one, yeah. So this is the design to basically have uh, an air tank uh, to it. But MSA does make an adapter that you can put the cartridge style filters on it. Um, we typically can use those during like a rehab or, or like a rehab or like a cleanup. Uh, but we typically try to keep our own air on it um, just because I'd rather breathe my own air than, you know, whatever could still be in the air as far as gases and all that kind of stuff goes. So for the military or the firefighting stuff, do you guys have some sort of anti-fog thing going on with that? Yeah, there's the anti-fog comes about in the way that the air circulates through the mask. It comes in through the filter, it goes up uh, through the nose, and it circulates past the eyepieces before it's get blown out, and that's what helps keep it f uh, fairly fog-free. For the ones for the fire service, if you fog up, um, this is only a single layer gas, but what you can do is you can hit your bypass, which basically throw, throws in a large amount of cold air, uh, and that'll typically take the fog out of the mask. Uh, but that's the only real way to do it, I guess. And Alan properly has experience with that as well there. Yep, absolutely. Um, I find as long as I'm... Um, as long as I'm breathing at a normal rate, I don't fog up too badly. But when we're standing around not doing anything is when I fog up. And yeah, I just you crack your bypass valve a little bit. And, um, to, you know, you lose a couple of breaths of air, but you get, uh, you get to be able to see what you're doing. Uh, I find if, I'm, if I have my mask on, but I'm not on air, uh, I fog up pretty quick. Uh, and I've heard that, um, I've heard of some fire services using uh, like dish soap on the inside to prevent fogging. Um, but I've also been I've also read that because there's ammonia in most dish soaps, 
uh, that's probably not the best option because it's not um, your your mask isn't rated to resist that. So I haven't investigated that any further, but I know that's been a scuba diving trick for many years. And one thing I wanted to point out on this mask as well here is that um, there's a three and a half millimeter jack here that goes to a voice box right here, and then I've got an earpiece here. So this is typically found on officers' masks. So instead of trying to scream into your radio, you can actually have a uh, decent uh, conversation through a uh, radio, which is a nice feature on these masks as well. Yeah. And de depending on the manufacturer, those are those are getting more and more common. Not even at the officer level, but even at the firefighter level. Right. Um, the the reasoning that they gave when I was when I was reading about it is that if you have to call for a mayday it's not just an officer that needs to be that needs to be heard clearly so yeah that makes sense I think for us it was just a cost thing and uh, when, sure. when when do we when when we acquire diesel so, so I guess no matter which one we buy for a civilian use you got to make sure you get the right filter for it as well depending on what you're trying to protect against uh, yeah, do you guys have like uh what's that Eric I said that's definitely the key is is doing your research on the filters because just randomly buying one, it might not filter what you're looking for. It might look yeah, nice. Yeah, exactly. If, if, you're, if you're looking for a paint room filter and you get yeah. a, a N90 or like a disease filter, it's a little bit different. It's not going to work yeah. the same way. Um, so, yeah, that's why I put the uh, the link to the website there that uh, kind of gives a lowdown on all the masks stuff. So, well, Typically, uh, there as well. Ian, you might know from the research that you've done, will the military ones uh, filter for airborne diseases like the corona one? Actually, Colin might know better. I couldn't tell you what, uh, how fine it filters, like down to how many microns or whatever. Yeah. My, my experience typically was more uh, during training, we'd use tear gas. Right. And that was what we used to simulate all of our drills and stuff. And we, I could, every time I did it, I could taste tear gas through my filter. Yeah. And, uh, and stuff like that. But I mean, it's. That'd be that'd be interesting to see. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Because like thanks, I would think, like an, yeah. yeah, I would think like an NBC suit would be a like a different filtration level altogether, especially if you're trying to keep like nerve gas out. Well, the, I don't even know the the suits are carbon impregnated, <coughs> and they actually aren't meant to last that long, but they're uh, carbon impregnated to kind of help neutralize like chemical agents, nerve agents, stuff like that, or uh, biological agents, anything. It's just just a buffer zone. You know, yeah. Like during the uh, the uh, research for this uh, episode, I was actually listing on or trying to figure out what's the best way to test your seals and everything else. And one guy recommended using bear spray on getting a guy to use bear spray on you to see if you get to get the bear spray smell. Oh. So I was like, well, I'd be ashamed to find out your seal was no good. You should just yeah. check you, check your seal with your hand, put it over your canister, yeah. and try and breathe in. You know, yeah, there's a way. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That's, that's how, how we do it. Yep. That's how you track your seal. Yeah. Yeah, but I was just thinking, like anywhere on the skin too. If you're trying to keep your like, uh, you know, your uh, your goggles uh, tight and everything else, you want to make sure. But oh man, that would just suck if the seal was no good. Anyway. Yeah. But yes, back to the uh, suit idea with the carbon impregnated suits. I guess we could talk about the uh, the Tyvek suits and all those other stuff. It's also a hot ticket item, I think, right now. I have some Tyvek suits here. Tracy ordered them from Uline. Yeah, like they're actually still available uh, in a lot of places. Like uh, that's not something the average panicky patty goes out and finds other than the N95 mask and maybe safety goggles. But like I think you can get these at uh, Home Depot still for like, I don't know, maybe 10 bucks. I don't know, not even that much. Yeah. Um, a couple of interesting supplies places. If you are in a place where they've they've kind of sold out and Home Depot doesn't have it, um, 
painting supply places yep. would be a, a thought. The other one, uh, it's kind of what nobody would think of. Most uh, chicken farms, believe it or not, actually have a, a big stock of N90 era Tyvek suits because they're worried about uh, spreading disease between farms. And uh, they are, they're they big on biosecurity. So if you actually wanted to, you could probably go to a battery chicken farmer uh, and see if he had a few Tyvek suits to, for sale because, yeah, they're big on biosecurity, <laughs> like big time. So because my kids did a tour at a local chicken producer and, uh, yeah, they had to suit them all up to even walk through the area like because uh, they don't want anybody even like walking in with dirt on their shoes. Is that a segue um, in the next week uh, week's episode? Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, um, but it, it, that's also a good resource. Is, is anybody that that supplies that does farm supply? So um, I know around here in southern Ontario, we have uh, TSC, which is not um, not directly related to the tractor supply company out of the U.S., but not not indirectly related either, from the looks of the logo and everything. But they uh, they also stock a lot of the similar a lot of similar things that are specifically designed for being on the farm, such as biosecurity products. Yeah, so which would a, actually make an excellent um, an excellent protocol to prevent spread of disease. Yeah, when you think about it, it's the same principle, it's the same uh, prevention methods, everything else. Because uh, I mean, right now they're go- China is also luckily enough going through an H one N one outbreak as well with their poultry flocks. So because <laughs> they're having a good month, it seems. Um, NBC suits. Just out of curiosity, Colin, uh, can you tell us anything about those? You said the uh, carbon impregnated stuff, but uh, was there a difference in the mask or anything else? Uh, you mean as far as the mask goes, the mask is the mask. Yeah, the one you get is the one that's used for training and for the real deal. Yeah. Um, you know, the canisters, I believe, in a chemical environment, I think, I believe they're good for about two hours. And they have uh, carbon in them. It takes a lot of odors and tastes out of things. But also helps neutralize a lot of uh, active ingredients. So, now a question for you, Colin. So, having been in the military as well, I remember with my issued gas mask, I was issued one one canister, um, and that was open for years and years and years. Like I never had to yeah. replace it. Right? Yeah. Um, do those expire just like the cartridges do for the half <clears throat> face full well, face respirators? I, if I remember correctly, the outside foil uh, that the canisters come in do have an expiration date on them. However, that doesn't mean they wouldn't be good in, let's say, the gas hut or anything. In fact, I used a lot of expired canisters when I uh, did training in the gas hut. But, you know, if it were the real deal, I definitely want to have something that's not expired. Right. I remember doing the gas hut a few times with the same canister over and over over and over again, right? So, yeah, I think I had the same one for about 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Okay. All right. I guess under the uh, banner of protective equipment as well, it's kind of often overlooked and not nearly as glamorous, but rubber boots. Gumbies, yeah. Be a, yeah, if you're going to be decontaminating afterwards. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be decontaminated later on, you're going to be spraying it down with bleach. You know, it's probably easier to seal something around, uh, like a suit around rubber boots than anything else. Yeah. So Absolutely. I guess if, if you don't have a, a new set, maybe now's the time. Uh, it doesn't have a tiny hole in it or anything else. And oftentimes you see in the movies, they use uh, just plain old duct tape to seal around um, gloves and boots and all that kind of stuff. And from what I've read, that seems to be a fairly effective method uh, at keeping stuff out when it comes to seams and, and, you know, arms and legs and all that kind of stuff. So, 
Yeah, I think as long as it blocks airflow, and that's what you know, duct tape literally was invented for was preventing airflow, right? So, yeah. um, why not? Like, I think just removing it would be a bit of a pain in the behind with a partner in crime to uh, help you out. Well, you you can't yeah. you can't effectively um, doff your equipment yourself. You you need somebody else to be able to do that for you. Oh, yeah. I would um, imagine. Yeah. We we use duct tape in training. Um, <laughs> when I I just went through my uh, my hazmat testing. I don't know, a month or so ago, and we had to, um, we said, like, we're using duct tape for training, but for the real deal, like, the the pros use um, a chemical resistant tape uh, that mostly indicates whether the chem, it's a, uh, the, the dye in it will indicate if it's been exposed to specific chemicals, and I think that was the main difference between chemical resistant tape and duct tape is that it will show you if if that's if it's come in contact with a, with specific types of chemicals sounds expensive that's uh, <laughs> kind of cool that's the type of stuff it sounds really expensive going. but uh, it also probably, you, need, you actually what what level of decon you need so. right right if you're going into a meth lab you need it oh, oh yeah yeah that's, talk about breathing yeah, breathing uh, protection right then and there you know it's not not cheap but it's not uh, not a bad thing to have so you can you can see what's going on. All right. Yeah. Gloves. Uh, I guess we can talk about the gloves. Uh, remember, number one rule, right, Al? No black ones? Well, if you're doing first aid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we got the two types. I mean, we, we, got, uh, we go on the, on the assumption that it's it's uh, respiratory protection until proven otherwise as opposed to... As opposed to... Oh. No right? black gloves. Black gloves are bad. Anybody who uses... Black, black gloves, gloves are bad. bad. Well, uh, because Alan's cutting in and out, I'll just cut. I'll walk over him here for a second. Uh, sorry, because basically, uh, if you're sorry, guys, you're you're back. Okay, no. cutting in and out pretty badly here. Um, yeah. So, nitrile, vinyl, latex. Um, the only the only real challenge with latex is that over there, some people are allergic to it. Um, yeah. But frankly, I, if I'm not allergic to it, I really don't. I really don't care about other people. Um, so nitro, but nitro is usually easier to come by. They're a little bit more widely available. Um, I came across an issue last week where my nitro gloves were um, um, had been in my first aid kit for some time. They'd been all balled up, and I went to put to pull on a pair and just put my hand right through it. So uh, rotate your gloves through. Don't compress them too badly, and uh, just like everything else. Now I would consider nitro gloves to be a base layer. Uh, I wouldn't use those as my exclusive contact because they're not very resistant to punctures. So something a little heavier on top would be a, a good next step. So back to the original question, Colin. So no black ones because you can't tell if it's sweat or blood on the on the glove if you're actually uh, working on somebody for first aid purposes, but for chemical or, or biological, it wouldn't be too big of a deal. For but sure. uh, So for the listeners that don't know the difference, this is uh, nitrile, this is latex or vinyl, depending on which, uh, which ones you get. Um, yeah, like Alan said, one's hypoallergenic, but yeah, thin as can be. And then, of course, the uh, depending on which ones you buy for the latex or vinyl, everything from acetone to whatever will eat right through it. So you got to be careful with what you're dealing with, not just for diseases, but for various chemicals, uh, depending on which gloves you use, which ones won't work. Because, like, for example, when you're using acetone or anything else for refinishing wood or anything else, uh, yeah, some of these just get eaten like you wouldn't believe. Like, you might as well not even be wearing them. But so they're good for detecting uh, blood stuff, bad for sarin gas. Okay, pretty much. Yeah. 
Yeah, pretty much. But I guess the other thing too is I think Dr. Alton talked on it there last episode, but uh, also go to YouTube and watch a good video on how to properly remove gloves from a biological perspective. Because it's not just a matter of like, you know, pulling it off and, you know, getting your thumb under there and everything else. There's actually a bit of a trick to it that you don't actually contaminate your hands Right. really badly when you're taking your gloves off, right? Yeah. I've done that in first aid courses before where you get your gloves all dirty and then you try to take them off without getting anything on you and it's next to impossible. Yeah, I, I do that I do that in every class. We use, uh, I use shaving cream because it's it's yep. really easy to tell when you've screwed it up. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a skill set. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, definitely, it definitely yeah. something that's worth, worth practicing and worth doing a few times. Um, for practice, for practical, practical purposes, go to the dollar store, buy a pair of like... Um, like dishwashing gloves, and you can take those off, turn them inside out, and put them back on again. Uh, they're a little bit less inconvenient than trying to turn nitrile gloves right side out. Um, but Ian, if you could, if you still got those gloves on, can you hold them up again? Oh, jeez, I just um, took them off. Oh, no. <laughs> I just wanted, to, I just wanted to point out one thing really quick. Um, the nitrile glove sits about there. The latex glove has much longer cuff. Which means that you're going to have less op- you're going to have a better chance of overlap and less opportunity to have a gap in your um, a gap in your um, in your clothes. So uh, a little bit longer gap, which means you're you're more likely to have have the overlap. So you can tape it down. Um, and when you're buying suits, um, take them out of the package and try them on. Like I, I'm an absolute giant. I'm, I'm like six and a half feet tall. Tyvek suits are not made to fit me. Um, so I. I the, I need to I need to go up a level to uh, to an actual chemical protective clothing suit um, if I wanted yeah. something that was going to be um, found something that was going to be um, resistant. So yeah, it's right. just one of those one of those things to pay attention to. It 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 won't make a world of difference until it makes all the difference. I just learned something. Yeah, it's about a centimeter to an inch, depending on how you want to wear it. Uh, difference for sure. So it'd be easier to tape them over with the uh, Tyvek suit as well. Like you said, you're right. Yep. Well, we've all learned something, so I'll bring this episode to an end. Okay, good. See ya. <laughs> uh, so we do have a good, right. uh, a good question in the uh, the live chat here uh, in regards to any thoughts on rubber boots being loose enough to uh, get off without uh, cussing and falling over trying to get out of them. Yep, do it. Uh, if your rubber boots are too tight, you're you're gonna fall. You're gonna fall down. And I love watching. I love pointing and laughing at people when when they do that. Um, another thing about rubber boots is when you're trying them on, make sure you're wearing a couple of pairs of socks because uh, those boots are gonna keep you dry, but they don't necessarily keep you warm. So uh, if you live in a climate where you know this week we had temperatures down to about minus 15 and then plus five, uh, one pair of boots can do that all, but it. If you can layer it, it's even better. Um, not a bad idea to wear those, uh, order those, or get those boots a size too big. That's exactly what I do. Is I, I order like uh, one size up and just wear a set of uh, socks with like wool socks over top, and it works great. Because uh, that's basically our winter winter time wear around here. Because it's just so freaking wet all the time. So um, absolutely, that's that's a good idea. And plus, yeah, they come off a lot easier that way too. And right. ideally, you, you whenever you're you're taking off that gear, and we kind of talked about it in the uh, in the decon episode where, or what three episodes ago, when we were talking about setting up a, a perimeter, like you can't effectively take that stuff off yourself without be coming into contact with it. So if you're if you're you got a plan to have you got to have a decon plan to get um, get that stuff off and put it in a put it in a safe area, and then create a create a barricade where you don't come through that without being 
fully decontaminated. And again, you can YouTube that. There's there are a million a million ways to do it that you know, depending on your level of threat. But it's uh, um, it's critically important that if you're going to do it, you do it right. Um, something else that I put in the show notes about uh, um, about respirators, uh, they will not work unless you have a clean shave. That you will not get a you will not get a proper fit test, um, and I know Ian and I discussed it when we were talking about when I when I first joined the fire department we were talking about the difference between negative pressure and positive pressure um, respirators because um, Ian's got that uh, got got an exception I guess or a or their 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 testing allows them to wear to have facial hair and everything's okay but it's because it's a it's a continuous positive pressure and they're not isolating um, they're not creating an environment. Um, they're just creating an oxygen-rich atmosphere, whereas um, like Hughes and I are, you know, pretty well clean-shaven all the time because it's got to be a, it's got to be a, a proper seal every single time to exclude the environment. So, and uh, even though I shave with a blade, I keep an electric razor in the truck. So if I uh, happen to have forgotten to shave that morning on my way to a call, I've got about uh, two minutes to uh, do a quick electric shave. Right, so <laughs> just learned the hard way. So. <laughs> That's actually ready for a TV commercial at that point, right? Like, <laughs> when I'm in a rush. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm about to endure a burning structure, yeah. So this episode brought to you by Gillette. They got those controversial commercials nowadays. Um, goggles. Should we move on to those? Yeah. So are you selling out of those as well, Eric? You know what? Shockingly, no. The only thing that is going is the N95 masks. Everybody is kind of looking at those and not thinking about any kind of contamination via eyes or or even any of the suits um they're just thinking well uh, everybody says the internet says i need an n95 mask so that's what i'm buying well what's funny is when dr joe was on the episode um not last week but the week prior uh he had mentioned that the ones that you're supposed to get are the ones that have the the protection around the eyes as well the ones i use in the fire service are typically just like clear almost like ballistic type plastic uh, lenses that would prevent um, anything from directly hitting my eyes, but never anything that comes in as like a side spray or anything like that. Right. So, um, you know, so almost it, like the ones you used to wear in like a chemistry lab. Right. Um, so is it, look a little, is it, yeah, like that. So I use the ones that are on my, my, your left Ian. So these ones, yeah, those are the ones I use in the fire service. I should be using the ones on the right. I'll, I'll <laughs> share my, my, I'll share my screen out here. Yeah. yeah, those are the ones yep. I'd, I'd want to use. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I think it's a much better seal. Yeah, yeah much better seal plus a, a good ventilation as well. Like, I've got a couple old ones that need to be cleaned up, but uh, yeah, if need be, they can certainly be used because they're the same idea like those ones. Looks they're like great. they fit over top of eyewear too. Yep. Yeah, they, they fit over top of prescription eyewear and they're good for <clears> everything from a shop class to, you know, the pandemic apocalypse, so to speak. <laughs> just okay. the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, with, the, right. with the ones that Ian just had up there, just uh, keep in mind that all those little vent holes around the side are an opening that um, stuff is going to get into. Um, yeah. They also tend to have really, really terrible um, elastic bands that don't actually seal it to your face. Um, so those would be kind of the least level that I would that I would uh, care for. Those ones that he's got that he's shown up there now, much heavier duty has a has a much greater opportunity to seal. And even uh, the uh, an indirect ventilation, right? Well, even yeah. the air holes on top, yeah, like you said, they're indirect. So the the virus XGA would have to go backwards, then 
than backing with a backdraft. And it's actually it's so it's an extra layer because it's it's like an S shape to get into the uh, the mask. So, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but Eric, the one you had up, didn't they have like a one way valve that looked like uh, those ones have indirect ventilation? Indirect ventilation. Okay, all right. And and so let's let's also keep in mind that like the virus by itself doesn't exist in the atmosphere. Like it has to be attached to right. a droplet. So it, it has to be attached to something. It can't, you don't, you're not walking into a cloud. Um, you're getting sneezed on. And that is the, that's the challenge that we're, that we're trying to overcome um, on the topic of eyewear. Just be aware that any, if it's not specifically designed to go over prescription glasses, anytime you've got your, your glasses next to your, um, next to that seal, you're creating, you're creating a potential opening. That's a good point. Um, yeah, a couple other things, I guess, in a pinch, um, if you're like stuck for protective wear and whether it be uh, disease, firefighting or whatever, there's a couple other things out there like, you know, uh, O2 masks, like the, like a tank firefighter style. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You guys have like full face with a, a self-contained breathing apparatus, right? Yep. Um, so if you're worried about the, the air quality or what might be in the air, that's, that's an alternative if you're in a pinch. Um, at work, we have something called the Drager hood, which is good for about 10 minutes of clean air. Uh, but it looks like a, like a welder's hood. Like you probably use all the time, Colin, like, you know, those heavy duty sandblasting hoods or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but it's got a oxygen supply. that's good for 10 minutes as well, which is kind of neat. You use that when you're flying? Well, yeah. In is case is of that fire, like right? the, the last 10 minutes before we kiss our butt? <laughs> <laughs> that's the, well, uh, sorry guys. Uh, try my best. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, it's just an emergency piece of equipment we have uh, on board, and so basically, it's uh, yeah, it's just uh, firefighting equipment more than anything else. But we also have uh, positive pressure masks, like Al was mentioning, that uh, we have a choice between 100% and uh, kind of a mix of O2 and outside air. Um, so there's all sorts of safety equipment that will protect your lungs as required. Well, that's only the pilots that have that, right? That that positive pressure air. Uh, yeah, because it's uh, it's an altitude thing. The higher up you go, the the different type of masks you have to have. Everybody else has got oxygen generators uh, that provide them with uh, what eight minutes or something. Or yeah, just enough time to get down to breathable air. And then the flight attendants have uh, portable uh, oxygen bottles. So. Right. Okay. Um, I always I always assumed those were actually filled with helium in the uh, in the passenger <laughs> compartment because well, that, that would make so it more entertaining. That, that would make it way more entertaining. Yeah, <laughs> but it's actually it's kind of funny because those things, oxygen generators, which can be found on lots of things other than you know my my workspace, um, is actually interesting because they create a lot of heat when they're in use. Like right. they actually get super duper hot because it's a chemical reaction creating the oxygen, which creates another hazard, of course, down the road. But. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think the uh, Navy uses something similar too. If I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, they they would use the yeah. Drager hoods for sure because uh, if you're fighting fires on board the uh, the vessel, the fumes and the confined spaces and everything else, they'd have to have some sort of a smoke hood. But uh, anyway, I, I'm dying to ask now, guys, for the NBC gear for the military. How did they train you guys to go potty with that? Actually, yeah, <laughs> never covered it. It's it's funny you say that because I was the demonstrator for the. Uh, defecation drills uh i did them in arkansas for the troops before we went to bosnia so basically it's just um unzipping your nbc suit and peeling back your hood and peeling things back basically it's like taking a a dump with overalls and you got to remember to take part of your suit that you're not um that's hanging down and tuck it up between your legs in front of you Right, so obviously you're not uh, 
Right. You know, for anybody, anybody who's ever been duck hunting and you've you've pissed in your waders, um, we all understand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You just gotta just make sure the suit's out of the way, and also keep in mind you want to don't want to rest that suit on the ground if you are exposed to a chemical agent and it's been dropped from an aerial uh, from the air and it's all around you. You know, uh, throwing your suit down with it open on top of. Uh, vegetation that might be contaminated could contaminate yourself when you go to put your suit back on just so be mindful of it could also just wear a big diaper i mean yeah just True. shake it at the bottom of your boot when you're done yeah there you go yeah oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so that maybe we'll move into um some stuff for nuclear run so any, any considerations for that yeah run Real thumb. If you can, co- if you can't cover that with your thumb, you're too close. If you can have the blast. Well, well, these are going to save you. Is that what you're saying? Would, <laughs> would you really want to be staring at the blast and measure it with your thumb to begin with? Nope. <laughs> Absolutely not. Rule, rule number one: uh, hazmat. Don't go past the last dead cop. Right. Same same nope. rule applies with nuclear. Don't go past the last dead soldier. That's right. I uh, just I bit my internet dropped off there. Uh, did you guys cover the decon decon uh, stuff? Uh, no, nope, we went. Uh, yeah, we went from uh, using the uh, the potty there to uh, nuclear. We just oh, it's just the way it was. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's all good. Um, just so, so curiosity, so uh, decontamination, whether it be a disease, chemical, whatever. Um, I think Alan was talking a little bit about decontamination before the show. Like, how does that roll with uh, say if you get chemicals all over your uh, protective suits and stuff? How do you guys work on that? Well, uh, it, it all, the, the exact, like the technical decontamination comes down to what you've been exposed to. Um, and so that's a matter of doing your threat analysis. In practical terms, you are, um, you're doing several levels of decontamination. The first level is gross decon, where you're just getting sprayed down with water, brush off all the big stuff. Second level, you're getting scrubbed down with some kind of soap and water, uh, whatever that potentially neutralizer is that will make your um that will get you down to the, the next level um usually at that point you start stripping your gear off and leaving it on the contaminated side um we talked before about having a uh, you know having a pool of uh pool of, of fluid where you can um stand in get get your boots clean um the way we do it is um i mean we have you know you can do it with a kiddie pool but you can also do it with a tarp and you roll roll the edges of the tarp in and flip it over and it creates a it creates a small pool um now we're doing that in a um in a with a view towards being able to actually catch and retain that contamination so that we're not spreading it elsewhere in a in in a uh, an shtf situation it's that I care less about that, um, but if it's a if we're talking about you know a, a proper um, hazardous material incident, we want to contain as much as we can, prevent the spread, all that good stuff. Um, so for a, for kind of a disease mix, I don't really care, but for a um, for a, 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 a chemical release, then we want to ca- we want to catch as much as we can, contain it. Um, depending on what you've been exposed to, the actual chemical to clean you off with is going to vary um so we've got we've got like a, a bleach in the in the show notes if what you've been contaminated with is acidic then bleach is probably not your friend uh, if what you've been contaminated with is is acidic you probably want to neutralize it with a base of some kind uh and that's far beyond my my scope I, i'm not a hazmat guy beyond 
knowing not to touch the stuff and not to lick my fingers afterwards. Well, that's solid <laughs> advice. That is solid <laughs> advice. Yeah. No, I think with the uh, the current uh, news topics too, I think you know bleach solutions is kind of the the way everybody's leaning right now too. So that's where the, uh, Hughes's video and Poodle Shot comes into play for making your own bleach or having a steady supply on hand at least anyway, right? Yep, yeah, absolutely. And I mean bleach bleach will kill most will kill most you know biological organisms. So um, for the average the average threat that we that we're going to face um, will be it's it's a it's a good uh, it's an excellent option. Yeah, and for anyone who's not familiar, um, the video that I have up there, I think for, you know, a one pound canister uh, of pull shock, you can make like several thousand gallons of bleach. Uh, it's it's pretty incredible. So, yeah, it's it's well worth it. That's a really good question from Bane Ironhand, isn't it? Uh, that's a great question. Just says, uh, would UV lights be of any use for airborne stuff? Might now, for- be, yes, I know that they, it's used in some... Uh, Air filtration uh, systems. Air filtration yeah. systems. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. So, well, just like solar distillation, basically works on UV light, and you know uh, they talk that most viruses can't handle being in sunlight. I'm gonna go with a quali- like a, a qualification on the yes, but yes, I would assume so. But I, I'm not a doctor, so. <laughs> would it would it help reduce? Probably is it your be all end all? Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, I know. Uh, even at the municipal level, where they're treating, you know, hundreds of millions of liters of water, they use UV light to to decontaminate water before it goes back into the uh, into the the watershed. Um, so that's that's certainly an option, but you would want a specific design system for it. You're not just gonna, you know, wander around with a black light you bought at Canadian Tire and hope that it's gonna help. But Probably. I do agree that waving your pan around like a lightsaber would be pretty cool. <laughs> that, that would be. The problem with light is that uh, when you're dealing with water, you can pass water directly over the light. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to uh, a light, the light diminishes. It diminishes by a squared value for every time you double the distance. So, um, so it becomes less effective as, as yep. you go. You know, like uh, the light shining, that UV light shining at one inch is substantially more intense than the light, let's say, at 10 inches or at a foot away. You know, it's going to be far less effective. So that that light, it can be effective if it's right against the light or right close to it. Uh, Like water usually is because it's passed directly over it. I'd say it's much more practical for um, for water than air, uh, but it's it's definitely something worth investigating further. Uh, I haven't heard of any UV air filtration systems, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. Yeah. Cool. Well, sorry for this huge segue there, guys. I uh, just think we're dying there, but uh, back to nuclear, I guess, eh? Yeah. Um, well, my th- only thoughts with that was, like, with the NBC gear that even, like, Colin had in the day and stuff, is like, it's not going to protect you like indiana jones and movie number four there and and you know help you survive a blast but i think if you're uh just trying to keep followed off or sorry what's that so there go my plans i was basing it all (laughs) on that well the solution to pollution equals dilution yeah exactly (laughs) yeah but i mean like at the very least it's uh it's something you can use as a disposable suit. So if you get uh, some, you know, contaminated stuff on you, just doff it. At least it's going to stop your exposure faster, right? If you can uh, yeah. get rid of all the uh, contaminated articles that you're you're tr- dragging around. So, but that's way above my pay rate. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't recall, uh, you know, having been in the military, I don't recall receiving a lot of training when it came to specifically to nuclear threats. Um, Colin, I, I don't know what your extent of training is on that, but uh, we didn't get a lot. It was mostly uh, for gas and like uh, chemical exposure and all that kind of stuff. Nuclear, chemical and, biolog or, uh, chemical and biological mainly because yeah. I think that they were more likely to be used. So, you know, a lot of countries that can't afford uh, nuclear technology, they resort to biological and chemical. All right. Well, there's, yeah, less stigma attached to its use as well. It seems to be less blowback if you use uh, a biological weapon a few years later, we've forgotten all about it, right? And uh, the area can be proven safe a lot faster than uh, obviously a spot like, you know, Hiroshima and Nagasaki that still get high readings, you know, <laughs> so many years, whereas uh, they can drop chemical agents and 48 hours later walk, march into that area and take it over. That's a good point. Yeah. So other than that, uh, I don't really have much else for chemical at all. Do you guys? Uh, just matching the suit to the threat because there's um, there's yeah. no one suit that is effective against every type of chemical. Um, so again, it comes back to your threat analysis, um, having a variety of, of suits available. Again, they have to be the proper um, the proper uh, size because if it's too small, it's completely ineffective. You're going to stand up too fast and uh, rip, rip the uh, rip the shoulders out or whatever it is, um, and there are, I mean, there are, what, seven different seven, seven different types between encapsulating and non-encapsulating, and um, the, uh, the EPA in the U.S. has four different levels, and NIOSH has three different levels, and NFPA has four different levels, and none of them seem to be in exact agreement, but, um, yeah, match the suit to the threat, so depending on what you've got, um, use the right tape, again, the system only works if everything is compatible. So if the chemicals in the duct tape that you're using are not compatible with the suit that you're using, you're going to cause an early degradation. And most of those suits are single use and toss them away. And same goes for your filters on your mask. Make sure that you're you're matching those to your thread as well. A lot yep. of them will look nice and fancy and the chemical side sorts of different colors. Uh, you're not going for fashion, you're going for actual practicality. So. Um, and the thing that I keep I, I, I keep coming back to in every uh, I've actually got my uh, um, a couple of my hazmat books open here on my desk while we're talking. Every single type of suit that they talk about talks about heat stress. Uh, I'm sure they they drilled that into you in the uh, in the army as well. Like anytime you're putting on a suit, you're preventing evaporation. You are going to get hot fast, uh, yep. which is um, especially in the carbon suits. It kind of neutralizes the carbon, all the sweat. That's yep. why it's only good for so long. Yeah, so that all of that means that your your actual working time in the suit is limited before you just kind of keel over. Um, so be exceptionally aware of that and plan your task before you go into the hot zone. Have your have your hot zone, your exclusion zone, really well set before before you do anything. Uh, have a plan for decon. Have a plan for emergency decon. Um, have a plan for isolation afterwards, and just be aware that. Um, Heat stroke and heat stroke and heat like heat stresses are always going to be a problem when you're wearing a chemical suit. I, you bring up a really good point there, Alan. Actually, it's like you know having a good plan for not just decontamination, but dealing with the used items afterwards, and or like having a spot dedicated to decontamination is kind of, I guess, something a lot of people don't think about at all right off the bat, right? Well, and 
in a in a hazmat incident, we're we're isolating the hazard and working backwards. In a um, in an environment where we're dealing with protecting our homes and protecting ourselves, we're kind of creating a safe zone around our house and then using that as our and then creating a decon point before you enter as opposed to before you leave. Um, so you're kind of you're kind of looking at it. You're kind of inverting the in, inverting the scale, um, and you'd want to decontaminate further away from your house. And then as you get closer to your to your location, like your bug out location or your, your house, then you would want to be doing a, a further, more thorough decontamination, so that by the time you're actually getting up to the house, everybody's clean. That's a good point. Yeah. Right. Shall we uh, move into the podcast challenge, or does anybody on the panel have anything else they want to throw in before we do? No, I'm good. I uh, didn't have much for this week, so I came up with uh, just try and get one outfit that would allow you to venture out in case of the uh, latest threat, which is the COVID-19 thing. Uh, one suit, you know, it's not the best idea, but it is something, I guess. And, um, yeah, if you have time, uh, about 10 minutes it takes to read the Emergency Act for Canada. It, uh, it's actually a very interesting read. Might save you some later surprises. I like it. All right, let's move into some upcoming events. All right, so we got the uh, Podcaster Charity Shoot coming up, uh, hosted by Slamfire Radio, which is July 4th, 2020, in Balmoral, New Brunswick, which is the Rest of Goose Gun Club. This year's charity of choice is the Rod Harkwell Memorial Fund, and there's a link to that. There should be some uh, ticket sales available on uh, Practice Score, but they haven't got it set up yet. But uh, in the meantime, get yourself set up with a Practice Score account, and that way you uh, buy tickets later on. Should be no problem. Should be about 25 bucks. Then we've got the uh, annual preppers meet coming up in Desboro, Ontario. It's the uh, second week of July. Uh, years past, it's usually run from the uh, the Thursday through to the Sunday. Uh, so it's always a good uh, a good weekend of camping and uh, lots of instructions and uh, seminars and such to attend. And you can sit around with like minded people around the campfire in the evening and don't let the truth get in the way of a good story type setup. So always a good uh, good time and lots of good people to go out and meet. So. That, that seems to be running the country these days, that, that theory. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> coming up uh, in May 3rd to 9th is Emergency Preparedness Week, and we'll have lots of super nerdy things to talk about during that week. That's all I got for now. Hughes, you got TACOM? Uh, sorry, I don't have the notes up here. Sorry. Uh, no problem. So uh, I'll read it out. TACOM Canada oh. 2020. September 11th to the 13th, uh, the Canadian Pro Gun Podcasters Network will be in attendance at TACOM 2020. Uh, your favorite podcasters will be on hand throughout the show, so uh, make sure you stop by the booth to meet your favorites and pick up some swag. We'll be uh, there too. Details for the show and uh, tickets and the link in the show notes. We'll move into some shout outs. I got nothing. Uh, I'm going sh- to shout out the. Uh, the three exceptionally patient people who are being really, really quiet in the next room. Uh, thanks for uh, putting up with us tonight, guys, and I'll be, uh, we'll be off soon. <laughs> All right. And email and iTunes reviews. All right. I got uh, one from Owen here. Um, actually, it's regarding to the, um, what do you call it, the hard alcohol production episode that we had there. Uh, just a couple points he wanted to bring up, uh, which is uh, not major, he said. It's not going to kill people, but Sour Mash technically has to contain a portion of the previous mash. There are three ways to do it, uh, theoretically, but that's the simple version. Um, using grains alone doesn't make it a Sour Mash. And he says, well, the sugar, w- the sugar wash that Hughes did mention does still contain methanol. It's probably not enough to worry about. 
And uh, I guess technically there's another word for column still, which is reflex still. And other than that, uh, that was pretty much it. Uh, pot still won't strip out the flavors. So that's, uh, I guess, one benefit of a pot still. Um, so you keep the original flavors of the mash in your final product. And yeah. the other thing I was just going to ask you about, uh, he mentioned uh, the tails might not need to be filtered out as well. Do you ever do that as well? Uh, I don't know. Uh, and again, the, the method that I use is going on a very specific set of instructions from a manufacturer uh, yeah. in which the manufacturer says that in using the sugar method and using their yeast and their products, uh, you end up with about one-tenth of the methanol that commercial alcohol uh, contains. So as he mentioned as well, it's probably not enough to be worried about, um, which is which is why I'm not too worried about it either. So, Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. It certainly takes a lot of the uh, the guesswork out when you don't have to worry about the heads or tails. So, right, and the thing is too is I don't have a way to measure how much methanol is in my final uh, product as well, right? So, uh, with that being said, I know that if I was going to make a mash out of anything other than sugar, like any fruits or anything, I know that 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 would contain a lot more meth methanol. So at that point, I probably would be discarding the foreshot or the head uh, and the tails as well. Cool. All right, so I've got uh, an email here from JN, and it says, uh, I recently finished your episode with uh, Dr. Joe Elton. Uh, the clarification of the N95 masks was great. Uh, I'm, new I'm new to prepping and uh, find your podcast a great resource. Uh, with tax season coming up and people potentially receiving a portion of their already earned income back through refunds, uh, would the show consider an episode with the following premise? Uh, someone who is new to prepping has 250 to $500 to spend on prepping uh, to get started. Where, how should they spend their money? Uh, obviously, there would need to be some assumptions made, rural versus urban, single home, apartment, etc., um, it would be helpful as people usually Google it, and uh, the answers vary from a reasonable, uh, from reasonable to a uh, bunker dwelling triple ply tinfoil hat. Um, thanks for that. That's, that's excellent. Yeah, I gotta well, go make some additions to my bunker. <laughs> and my hat. I, I need a couple <laughs> layers for my hat. Two ply was good, but yeah. let's go into three ply with my tax refund. No, I mean, so, I mean, we, it could definitely be an episode all to itself, which is probably not yeah. a bad idea. Um, but if you've got you know 250 to 500 before you spend your money spend your time um, what is your biggest threat remember the rule of threes right you can go three hours without shelter three minutes without air three days without water three weeks without food based on that where where are your weaknesses and start there um, uh, it's kind of like bodybuilding once you get into it it'll never be it'll, it'll never be enough and you'll always keep going uh, which is you know, it's a fun hobby, right? It, it, as much as anything else, it's it's a it's a really practical hobby, and it's a really fun thing to do to just keep adding and um, playing the what if game and overcoming those problems. So, um, we'll uh, we'll certainly get that on the air as another as another episode coming up soon because that's uh, that would be a fun it'd be a fun uh, war game if you had to x number of dollars to spend. How would you do it? Yeah, yeah. personally, well. I think spend it on education and where better to get it than the podcast. Yes. Just, just donate, donate 500 bucks to the podcast. That'd be fantastic. Everything uh, else you need for prepping can be found at rapidsurvival.com. Yeah. <laughs> or that as well, yes. <laughs> well, I think I'll quote uh, John from the prepared mind there. So you need uh, a food, water, shelter, clothing, uh, self-defense, and a plan. So I guess start with the planning, like Alan said, and work your way backwards from there. Um, getting you know 5,000 rounds of ammunition and, no, and not even a knife or a first aid kit is probably not the best way to go. So um, yeah, start off with food. You know, everybody needs that, and so on and so on. And 
Um, you'd be surprised. 500 bucks actually can get you a long ways. It can, you know, I was actually outfitting my alternate location there in Vancouver and didn't take much to get some basics that uh, took care of a lot of worries there. So, yeah, we'll, we'll do an episode for that, maybe two episodes from now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll get it out there for sure. Thanks for the uh, suggestion, Jan. We appreciate it. And for iTunes guess- views, we've got uh, 44 five stars. We're at uh, four four stars, two three stars, and we still got that little guy, one one star. But he's keeping us honest, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll keep him there. <laughs> All right. So that'll bring episode 55 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, uh, Stitcher now, and your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out. Take a few minutes, submit a review. It helps other people find us. Uh, you can also find us at prepperpodcast.ca and, of course, on Facebook. Now, we do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the show, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast. Click the notifications tab. and gives you an alert when we're going live. Uh, if you find us on our Facebook page, the Canadian Prepper Podcast, do a quick search, uh, and you can get the exact same thing. Uh, if you want to contact me directly, you can find me on Instagram at PPSWO or alan at prepperpodcast.ca. Where can we find you, Colin? Uh, you can find me at uh, Colin at CanadianVets.org. I'm also on Instagram and uh, Facebook as well. And for me, uh, you can find me on uh, YouTube if you just search for HFX Prepper, or you can reach me by email as well at Hughes at uh, CanadianPrepperPodcast.ca. All right, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com, and you can also find me on Canadian Patriot Podcast, also available at iTunes YouTube. There you can find us discussing more government waste, squirreling off on the firearms-related banter, and uh, exposing the daily loss of freedoms we're facing. All right, then uh, you can check out Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com, and you can get me there on the live chat, of course, while you're buying some prepper gear. Uh, you can also email me at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, thanks for joining us, and you can tune in for the next episode. We're going to be talking about chickens, uh, chickens for the apocalypse. So until next time, uh, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. <laughs>